This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Oh, that was a good Pentecostal shouting. <laughs> Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately after this, <clears throat> Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him on the water, they were terrified. In, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went to the, uh, over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why? Did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. All right. So Jesus said what? That is where we have been for several weeks. Have y'all enjoyed the series? So, I don't know about you, and I know he's not here, so he will probably not even believe that I'm about to give him a shout out or esteem him, right? Because men, I mean, like they need all the esteem all the time. And I, I feel like, <laughs> right? You feel like you never quite can give them enough. So, but how many of you are blessed by our pastor? So I am so blessed. I am so blessed, not just that he is my hubby or the father of my children, but I love coming to this house and knowing that I am being poured into. So even as a wife, even as somebody who knows all his little dirty laundry, even as the one who has to wash his dirty laundry, I am blessed. I come in here each week, and I mean, I just am so blown away by what's going on um, just in his life, in my life, and in the life of this church and this body. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be in the house of God. It's a good thing to be here, planted in this house, and um, I'm just grateful. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for all of the blessings that you give us. God, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything that you impart to us. God, I pray that you would be with us as we delve into this story today. Lord, I thank you that we hear your voice God, I thank you that it changes our life, that it plants deep in our heart. I thank you when we leave this place today, God, that we will be different. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so um, 
he's got me doing this slide thing too, which is so different for me. So bear with me. I don't know who's in control. I don't know if the slides are in control or if I'm in control. So, but he's like, I want you to do the slides. I want it on the website. So, so bear with me. It's not always how I approach things. So I've got, you got me. Okay. All right. All right. So let's put that uh, first thought up there. Yep, here it is. All right, what you think about Jesus, who he is, and what he says matters greatly. That's where we've been each week. And if you follow him, you need to awaken to the supernatural. That's where we're going to head today. You need to awaken to the supernatural. Now, when I was young, um, I wanted to be an actress. So it wasn't that I had that much going for me to want to be an actress. So I lived in the boonies of Scriven County, so which is in Sylvania. There was no theater. There were no drama classes. There was no drama club at school. Um, there, was, there were no platforms in Sylvania. I mean, it's a three-traffic-light kind of city. So there was no, I was fishing on the weekends, right? I was with my daddy in a boat, hooking worms to a hook, throwing it in. But I wanted to go to Hollywood and be an actress. So I couldn't watch the Smurfs. They were demonic, but I could watch soap operas. <laughs> so, so I could watch soaps all day long. So, and I mean, if I could have just been Laura and married Luke, or if I could have just been Hope on Days of Our Life and married Bo, and I thought, I know I can do this. Like, I know I could act like this. There's nothing stopping me from, from being on a soap opera. Like, I knew that I knew I could do it. Um, when I graduated from high school, I told my mom I was going to go to uh, this school and, and study acting and drama. And she's like, Robin, no, they're all going to hell. Like, you cannot... <laughs> You can't do that. I think she may have matured a little bit by now, so she may believe that actually you can be an actress and, and make it into the kingdom of God. Um, so anyway, I, I seared clear of that. Then I saw Kelly Ripa on her show, and it's just, I mean, she's grabbing a cup of coffee, right? She's sitting there grabbing coffee, pulling it to her, and she's drinking it and just interviewing all of Hollywood. And I'm like, well, yes, I could do that for sure. Like, that has got to be the easiest job in the world. So fast forward, my life took me other places and a different direction. And um, when I had two small children, um, I was nursing one, and I had one who was two, a brand-new baby. It was in July, so I had, I had just had Sophia in June. So she was small, and I was nursing her. I had a two-year-old, and we had a ministry trip that we went on with June and Jean that took us to L.A. Well, how many of you know this little girl's heart was just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's my moment, right, to go, <laughs> to, go to L.A. So I'm, I'm there. We're, we're with the tour guide, and she's like, do y'all want to go to Rodeo, Rodeo Drive? And I'm like, heck, yeah. Like, take me there. I was born to be there. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I was born, and then I started looking at my life in this tour van, and um, there was a, a huge double stroller that I had. Um, I was a brand-new nursing mother, and I'm just going to leave that right there for all you women. Men don't think about that. It's the middle of July, brand-new, only been nursing a month, mother, so I have stains on me, etc., etc. So um, I look over at Gene, and he has on a floral, like a Hawaiian tourist hat. 
I look at June, she could care less about Rodeo Drive, right? Like, it's not impressing her at all, and I'm looking at Mark, and I begin to devise a plan. I'm like, now, when I, I'm thinking in my head, when I get there, I cannot get out with these people. I cannot <laughs> walk down Rodeo Drive with this crowd. First of all, I'm going to pull up in this big white van that was like a 12-seater with all these tourists. Gene had a camera around him. I have diaper bags, everything. So I quickly looked at Mark, and I said, listen to me. No questions asked. You have the children. You have your parents. I'm out of here. So that door opened. I gave him the kids, gave him everything. And I walked down Rodeo Drive all alone, all by myself, looking in every window. I couldn't go in the stores, actually, right, because there's guards and everything. I mean, like, you can't get in because you're a nobody. So, but you're pretending. I mean, I am owning that moment, and it just felt so good. I left them a good 15, 20 feet behind me, so nobody even knew that, <laughs> that they were with me. So, with that thought in mind, I want to ask you a question. If you'll go on to the the next thought. Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. When we talk about the supernatural and we talk about wanting the moves of God, there's a lot that happens in the in-between. A lot that happens to have to get you there. Move to the next thought for me. What would it look like if you took hold of the supernatural promises of God for your life rather than continuing on as a spectator. All I was that day on Rodeo Drive was a spectator, right? It didn't matter how far I walked from the, my family, who were, was like a crowd of vagabond tourists. It didn't matter what I tried to look like. It didn't matter how I straightened my hair or how I strutted or how I stared into the windows. I was nothing more than a spectator that day. And I want to talk to you for just a minute this morning, if I can, just to our house. If you're visiting with us, I'm going to say what Mark said a few weeks ago. Um, take, take the words of truth, take the nuggets, grab them and hold on to them. But for you who call this place home, this message is for you today. In two weeks, we move towards our third service, right? So Easter's coming. We're moving on. Two weeks ago, our pastor shared a message with us that basically tried to combat the fears that the enemy would want to plant into our lives, right? The fears of what's going to happen to the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen, you know, are we going to be so organized that we move everything um, onto, you know, just this digital platform that, you know, the Holy Spirit is so far gone. Remember that message a few weeks ago? So we kind of tackled, tackled some of y'all's fears and, and talked to, to you all about what you can expect from us, what you can expect from Mark and I as leaders, but what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us today, it's one thing for us to hold this and to look at it and to meditate it and to run after it and to forget about what kind of people it is that fill each one of these spots. We're talking to you about the needs that we have. We're talking to you about the need that we have for you to be able to serve in this house and help us run sound and help us run the nursery and help us as we grow and as we expand. Many of you have already gotten phone calls that, hey, we need you for the third service. If you could commit six months to that, we're going to need you. Um, we, we have laid this out. People who have gone to the class have thought, gosh, 
that's that's such a big undertaking that you all are about to do. Let me tell you something. This is this is a great undertaking. And it is something that was birthed in the heart of Mark and I all the way back to when we were dating. And we began to talk about what our life, what we wanted our life to look like and how we were going to apprehend all of the things of God. And it's been a long 30 years. It's been a 30 years filled with many ups and many downs, many ins and many outs. You all are being grafted into this as being a part of our vision, right? Because you've planted yourself here. So what that means, if we believe what we say that we believe every week when we say that you come into this house and that you have something that you are to impart to others. Remember, we, we talk about that when we talk about praying for people, laying hands on people during the time after worship um, and, and at the altars and all of those things. If we believe what we say we believe, then surely your part is more than just to fill one of these boxes of needs, right? The church cannot impact. It, it is not going to be 300,000 followers online that impact the kingdom of God. It's going to be the people who are sitting in the house impacting the kingdom of God, right? So all of the media goals there all of the mission trip goals there, all of the tech goals there, all of the writing song goals there, all of the goals to, to have nursery workers, all of those things are not going to matter if the people doing those goals don't understand how to have the kingdom of God operating in their life, right? To be, for Mark and I, to be a, a church that has three services filled with people who don't understand or operate or walk in what the kingdom of God is, is not a fulfilling vision to us. And if you read between the lines, you, you can see the kind of people that we are hoping to raise up. The kind of people that will impact this corner. It's not going to be the building that impacts the corner. It's not going to be a building out in the field where we're swinging for the fences. It, it's not metal and steel and tech. It is not those things that truly impact and grow the kingdom. And we cannot give out of depletion. If it's not deposited on the inside of us, we will not be able to give it out. And so my question is, are you just sitting here as just my, my ride-along bestie? Or do you really want to participate in the supernatural move of God for your life? For you, not just for Mark and I, but for you. The calling that God has on your life, what he has deposited in you. Or do you want to just walk with me the same way I walk down Rodeo Drive and say, yeah, it looks good, it looks pretty, I can play my part, I can work the soundboard, I can wipe a baby's butt, but don't expect me to actually be identified as being one of those in the kingdom who's actually making an impact and my life is actually shifting. And I, I'm going to tell you, it's going to require something of you when you start looking at the kingdom of God in your own life and take your eyes off the kingdom of God in everybody else's life. And as much as I appreciate Mark's message a few weeks ago on what you all can expect from us, that's great. We're your, sh your shepherds, your pastors. You should be examining us, and you should be looking at us. 
But at the end of the day, as we're leading you and we're pulling you and we're trying to get you, think about Moses and the Israelites. There was the leading and the pulling and the trying to get them there, but it wasn't until that internal knowing that they knew that they knew that they knew who they were could they ever cross and get where they needed to be. So we need you to be willing to listen to what Jesus says, to hear what he says, and as the thought said, we need you to awaken to the supernatural in your life. I believe it's what Jesus was trying to do with the disciples the whole time he walked those three years with him. The Bible says in the Gospels that he deposited something in them before he sent them out. Right? He deposited within them. He told them, you can lay hands on the sick. You can cast out demons. You can tread scorpions. Nothing nothing will hurt you. And they waffled in that for three years as they walked with him. I think sometimes they just wanted to be his ride-along bestie. Just sit in the car for him. Turn the music up or down if he needed it. Roll the windows down. And he was always pushing them. And it wasn't the crowds he was pushing. The crowds he was performing all these miraculous miracles for. But with the disciples, he kept pushing them. When they asked, you know, what are we going to do with this hungry mob of people? He said, you're going to feed them. Go feed them. And if you go back and read that story, they, they're just like, no, we'll send us away then. Or send them away. You know, so they, they never could really grab hold of and, and gravitate towards the fact that there is something in you. And Jesus needed them to do this. Why? Because he knew, I'm out of here in three years, dudes. you got to grab hold of this. you got to grab hold of the fact that I have deposited, I had made an, a deposit on the inside of you. That comes from, from God above. Just by being my disciples, I have deposited in you. And the Bible tells us the same thing, and even more so, about walking with Jesus today. We have been deposited with the gift of God on the inside of us, with everything we need, the Bible says, for life and godliness. Absolutely everything. There is a deposit within us. He has told us, greater works than these will you do right? Greater works. Do we believe that? I wonder sometimes if we believe it because I think sometimes we live just, you know, I, I feel like I live so short of that sometimes. As I revisit the same problems and the same shortcomings and the same issues, yet there is this thing on the inside of me that says that I'm not stopping at that. And that needs to be on the inside of you, that you would not stop and you would not settle, that you would understand that you have been given authority. My three oldest kids, they understand. There is no way you could convince my three older kids that absolutely everything that I have belongs to them. My bathroom, my makeup, my money, my clothes... My shoes, my food, my cars, my vehicle, my gas, my name, my checkbook, my debit cards, all the time. And they're just like, I mean, when they, when they take it or use it or are gifted it, they're like, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Never have I had to sit down with them and have a conversation that, you know, honey, yes, this belongs to you. Stella, on the other hand, she does not know that she is an Evans. There, I don't know. I think she thinks she's just this poor vagabond kid who belongs to no one because she expects nothing, and when you give it to her, it torments her soul. It's like, oh, God, I can't believe you spent, you spent $12 on me. Oh, God, that's just, that's just 
too much. That's too much. You can't spend that much money on me. No, I'm like, thank you. Did you cook for me? (laughs) Is she not like that? I mean, almost weeping. Like, why would you buy me a 50-cent sticker? That is literally how she feels. So, And for years, we've been telling her, Stella, it's yours. What's ours is yours. It belongs to you. What's ours is yours. It belongs to you for the taking. So just because you are an Evans, that is who you are. So pray for her. I don't know where this comes from. So I've been confessing over her whole life. And yeah, she'll get it. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk this morning about how to move from being a spectator to a participator. I want you to be able to participate in the supernatural today. I want you to walk out of this place knowing how. Let's look at the first scripture. In our scriptures that Ryan said that he read earlier, verse 22 says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Next slide. Your first point in becoming a participator is that you are going to have to be confident that's what what is in you. Be more confident. Nope, nope, nope. Be more confident of what's in you, not why it's happening to you. Jesus sent the disciples into a storm. He sent them there. Knowing Him knowing that you've got everything you need that's inside you to handle this. I'm going to go mourn and grieve for a minute. My cousin has been killed. So he's trying to mourn. He's trying to grieve. He has sent them and deposited them into a place that he knew was stormy. Is that odd to you that a good God would send them in in somewhere where he knew that they were going to be in a battle. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to figure out why the heck we're in the situation that we're in. There could be a million reasons why we're in the situation that we're in, one of them being God. God always has a purpose that's beyond anything we could think or imagine or understand. And his sovereignty is bigger than anything we can think and understand. You know, I think there are a couple of things in Scripture that are one coin, two sides. One of those being faith and works. Faith without works is nothing. And works without faith is like filthy rags, right? One coin. So, and I think the same thing is true of sovereignty and the promises of God. We can believe and we can quote and we can assume that there would be absolutely no reason for us to ever go through a battle. We can stand on all the ifs. If I do this, then this will happen. If I do this, then this will happen. There's millions of them in the Bible, right? If this, then this. But how many of you know sometimes trouble still finds its way to us? And we, how many years did we waste just trying to figure out why? Like, why am I here? Why did I have a diagnosis? I have no idea. But I moved beyond it. Why did Sophia have a diagnosis when she was a young child that we had to walk through? Why did Olivia struggle with bulimia? I don't know. Why did Stella break her arm? Why did Victoria Kate break her arm? Why did my husband lose his mind? I don't know. 
right? I mean, and what am I going to do? Do I, do I need to spend 50 years trying to figure this out, or do I need to figure out that there's something inside of me that can move past this, regardless of what it is that's going on? You don't have to know every time something happens, you don't have to have the why behind it. You don't have to have the why am I out here? And Peter, when Jesus showed up that day, he didn't start having some theological discussion with him. That's like, well, now, Jesus, why in the world would you send us here? Why? I mean, we've been out here for nine hours, commentaries say. Nine hours fighting this boat in this storm. Why? Why would you do that to us? What kind of a God are you anyway? Hey, I've given my life for you, and this, this is all I get? This is what I get in return? No, there was no theological discussion. None at all. So you have to decide that, that what's in you is bigger than the why. Number two, go to the next scripture. Oh, um, well, this thought goes along with number one. Exactly, the slides are in control. So if not, if not careful, and this is a great thought that I'm glad that they put it up there. If not careful, we're going to miss the opportunity to participate in the miracle because it's packaged in a problem. Just because you have a problem doesn't mean a miracle doesn't reside on the inside of it. You can't just shoo away every problem. Just shoo it away and just rebuke it and just cast it and just be done with it and just close your eyes to it and just bury your head to it and just pretend it doesn't exist. Sometimes the miracle is in the middle of the mess, the very middle of the mess. But we don't like messes. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like for anything to, to mess with our theology. So that was point number one from spectator to participant. Um, next scripture, number two. Meanwhile, verse 24, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Matthew 14, 22, you can move on to the thought. We have to endure the meanwhile. There's always a meanwhile. I wish there wasn't a meanwhile, but there is always a meanwhile. They told me I had breast cancer and there was a meanwhile. In the meanwhile, I had to have surgeries. In the meanwhile, I had to lose my hair. In the meanwhile, I had to take medication. In the meanwhile, I'm still taking medication. There's a meanwhile. Everything is not just this instantaneous moment. And because it's not an instantaneous moment does not mean that it's not a supernatural moment or that it's not a miracle, or that God is not working, or that he, his hand is not directing you. You know, one of the things that I do in the meanwhile, meanwhile, we have an opportunity in the meanwhile. In the middle of meanwhile, we have an opportunity to either strengthen our faith, make it really strong, make our aim sharp, and repeat day in and day out, or we have an opportunity. In the meanwhile, that's when people begin to get bitter and despondent and depressed, and confused. The meanwhile has been what's caused people to deconstruct from their faith. Do you know, have y'all heard? I mean, deconstruction is such a trend right now. That you would actually throw away what you know to be true because you're having to stand in a meanwhile. You're having to endure something for a little bit longer than an hour, a little bit longer than two days, a little bit longer than a month. I mean, is Jesus really, I mean, like, do you, do you really, like the, the king of the universe, do you really think that he wants to confine 
or that he even can, not just wants to. Do you think he can confine to your box of how you want to define and interpret him? What kind of God would he be if that is what, what he could do? That he could just confine to our understanding of who he's supposed to be and how he's supposed to move in our life. That would make me God, not him. He's God. And, and in the meanwhile, you know, it's not fun to do 80 loads of laundry a week and cook 16 meals a week and to wash dishes and to, to have to wake up and get children dressed and taxi them places and then come home and have to tuck them in and take them to sports and do all the things. Do you know what, what has kept me in that meanwhile from the time that they're born till the time that they leave my home? Is, is I had a vision a long time ago when I had them that when I was 70 and 80, I would have grandchildren lined up around my feet that I could share and tell the testimonies of my God to, that I would be sitting beside the man that I had given birth with those children, same man. I had a vision that my family would be an oasis for people to come to and to learn who God was and what he meant. I had a, a vision that relationship would be demonstrated from our household, that our household would be a place where people could come in and they could, they could seek refuge and safety in our home. And it was visions like that that kept me going. In the day, in the night, when I'm cleaning vomit, when I'm cleaning throw up, when I'm cleaning poop, when I'm doing laundry, all of the things, day in, day out, day in, day out. The, the Bible says that you have to set your joy and your vision and your gaze on something big in the meanwhile. So what are you thinking? What are you believing for? Don't let the meanwhile come distract you and pull you away from the things of God. Time can work for you or against you, but you cannot bypass it. There's no escaping it on this side. So make it work for you. Make it work for you. Don't get bitter. Don't get mad at God. Don't get depressed and downtrodden. Make it work for you. Do what you have to do to make it work for you. Build your faith up. Number three. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. You can move on. Point number three, you can never give fear the final voice. Fear cannot have the final voice in your life if you want to walk in the supernatural. It just can't. Move to the thought. You cannot progress when you dance with both fear and faith at the same time. You can be fearful and you can be faithful, but you cannot be both of those. You can't house them both in your soul at once. You've got to decide, are you going to let fear rob you? And are you going to let fear stop you? Are you going to let fear take from you the things that belong to God? Are you going to continually rehearse the negatives that I'm going under, that I can't, that I'm not going to, that I'm losing my mind? 
on all the statistics. If you magnify the problem, how many of you know if you magnify the problem, it grows in your head? Whatever you're studying, whatever wolf you're feeding grows to be the biggest, right? So if it's the problem, if it's the chaos, if it's the bank account, if it's the no sex in your marriage, if it's the no communication, if it's the no ability to resolve conflict, if it is the doctor's report, if it is the stats that so many women die of breast cancer every year, if it is all of those things, if you're rehearsing all of those things over and over and over again, it'll grow and it'll defeat you and you will be stifled and you will not move and there will be no action in your life and you'll never bump headlong into the supernatural things of God. You have to decide. And no one can decide that for you. I wish that we could. I wish that Mark and I could come step into your home and into your situation, and I wish I could pull the scriptures out for you to meditate. Call me, and I will help you look some up if you need help. But you've got to do the hard work. Mark and I can shepherd you, but we can't live with you at home. We can't pull your concordance out and look in the back of your Bible and find you a scripture on peace so you can lay your head down at night and sleep. You've got to do that. You've got to do the hard work. You've got to take the scriptures and write them down and keep them before you. Show them to your children and train them. You have to decide, are you going to live fearfully or are you going to live full of faith? Next scripture. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water. Yes, come said Jesus. This is one of my favorites. Move to the we have to take Jesus at his word. At his word. And the the thought that goes with this, show it to me. His word is given so we can experience the supernatural, not to simply keep us comfortable. And I'm amazed that Peter, that that was the word that, that Jesus gave him was to come. And Peter didn't say, are you kidding me? I mean, what kind of idiot does it take to step out onto stormy shore like that, stormy waters like that? So just because Jesus said come, just because Jesus said come, he actually, I mean, he's been terrified. The scripture said he was terrified to death. Terrified. Not just uncomfortable. They thought they were going to die. Have you ever thought you were going to die? I have thought before that I'm going to die. And it's a very, very uncomfortable place to be. And Jesus said, come, and he just steps on over. Most of the time, we look for a better word. If that's the word that Jesus gives us, we look for a different one. Right? We just keep turning the scriptures in the Bible and saying, that I'm sure that wasn't God. Or we go to another conference, right, and let somebody lay hands on us and prophesy. Sometimes I'm so concerned about, about the truth of the gifts of the Spirit that it, it baffles my own mind. I have to go back and, and look. Because some of us have had 80 of the same prophecies for 40 years, and we still won't move. And I'm like, do you believe? Do you believe that God gave you a word, or do you not? Most of the time, we're just looking for another one, a better one, a different one, something to keep me comfortable, something to tickle my flesh a little bit. 
I mean, it would have been much better if he would have said, look to the storm, Peter, and just say, stop. I mean, that's what he usually told people, right? I have conversations with people on occasion that, that they just are in this cycle of needing another word from God over and over and over again. One of the best things I ever learned was if you find yourself in a spot where you're not making progress, the very thing that you need to do is to go back to the last thing that you know God told you to do. Are you doing the last thing that you know God told you to do, or are you too stubborn to do that? Are you hunting for something different to do? Does it make you too uncomfortable to actually believe the last word that God told you? Going to another conference and having another prophecy and having another laying on of hands is not the answer if God's already given you a word. And I know that's harsh in a spirit-filled environment. There's an expectation on our part from our Father. He's good and he's full of grace and he's full of mercy. And we see that because he continues to speak to us, right? He doesn't pull back and hide and shy away. But there's a responsibility for us to apprehend the things of God. He can't do it for us. Mark and I can't do it for you all. Mark and I can't do it for each other. Your spouse can't do it. You can't do it for your kids. There's a place that you have to take his word and you have to decide that I'm holding on come hell or high water. I am moving regardless of what kind of fear resides on the inside of me. Mark shared a little bit last week. If you only knew what I felt like when I said, sure, let's move to Atlanta. He touched the tip of the iceberg, but I was going to follow a man who two years prior had left me in the dust. I was going to pick up a home that I lived in for 17 years with my children and everything in it and say, yeah, let's go do this again. I feel so good about this. I feel like this is going to be great, dude. So, It was very, very uncomfortable. Extremely un- uncomfortable. It was not comfortable for me to lay down on a surgeon's table and say, have at it. But I had to be willing. I had to be willing. Next slide. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. Now you really are the son of God, they exclaimed. (laughs) Always after the fact. So don't get distracted by spectators. Not only do you not need to be a spectator, but you don't need to be distracted by a spectator. The thought on this, don't blame others on your lack of seeing the supernatural power of God. It's your responsibility to apprehend it. You know, do you you think about the other disciples ever? I know we hear this story and we read it all the time and we're just like, yes, Peter walked on the water. I know the end of it, he, he fell because he got his eyes off Jesus 
Um, we may get there, we may not, but he did walk on water. I mean, if you're the other dude sitting in the boat, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why only Peter? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, are, was the miracle only for him? Was it only for him? How many other people's names could have been written in that spot? There will always be crowds. There will always be spectators. There will always be people sitting on the sidelines watching you, some of them waiting for you to fail, some of them waiting for you to succeed. Sometimes there are crowds of people who pick you up and lower you through a roof and take you to the feet of Jesus, and sometimes there are crowds who crucify you. But there are always people watching. Always people watching. And you can't be moved by them. Do you know that when, when Mark and I decided to pick our lives up and decided to um, fight for our marriage, do you know I had people tell me that you have lost your mind? I had people tell me, what kind of an example is this going to be for your children? Like, don't you know that they're going to grow up and they're going to expect to be done wrong? Why would you even consider forgiving him and moving forward. Same thing when I had a cancer diagnosis. I had people say, are you kidding me? Why would you have surgery? Why would you take chemo? Why would you do that? Oh, crowds are always around us. They're always speaking. They're always watching. I can imagine the disciples in that boat. I can imagine them saying, Peter, you're an idiot. What are you doing? What are you doing? He's abandoned us. We're out here. It's a ghost. I mean, just think of all the things that they could have said to him that day. And we don't know. Maybe they were cheering him on. My thought is if they're cheering him on, I mean, if I'm going to cheer somebody to do something supernatural, you better believe me. I'm going to jump in with them. I don't want to be left on the side not experiencing the hand of God. So I, I think it was probably went the other way. If they remotely thought, if they remotely thought Jesus is about to do the coolest trick ever. The coolest one ever. And they miss it. They miss it. It's your responsibility to apprehend the things of God. In conclusion, I'm moving on to Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. God was working something in Peter. He was working something in him for the masses. He was working something in him that if he had not experienced that supernatural moment with God, I'm not sure what kind of a deposit he would have been able to give that day when he was preaching. And people, this house is being added to. We're watching it before our very eyes. Those of you who have been with Mark and I for the 10 years that we've been here, you've seen the transition, you've seen the growth, you've seen the things going on. We said a couple weeks ago, we're not closing the doors for anybody. We're going to keep the doors open, 
so that the broken and the lost and the hurting and the misplaced and the misguided and the ones who need healing, the ones who need a touch from God, the ones who need to see the hand and hear the voice of the Father can come into this house. But let me tell you something, that is going to happen because of you. They're not all going to be having dinner with Mark and I every day. They're not all going to be sitting at my feet every day or Mark's. They're going to have a relationship with the people sitting in this house. And yes, your acts of service towards us, praise him, you can come on up and get ready to close out. Your acts of service to us are greatly appreciated. God sees them and counts you as faithful. He, sa- he says that, that he sees what we do for his kingdom. So those are important. It's important that people would be with us to help us open the doors and help us greet and help us take care of the children. But that in and of itself is not going to be what revolutionizes the people who come into this place. That's not going to be what heals their brokenness. It's going to be your story of your God who came into your life and revolutionized your marriage and your health and your finances and your peace, and your mental state. That's the God. So today, if your marriage and your health and your mental health and your finances and all of those things are out of whack and you need the supernatural hand of God to show up in them, I want you to have vision for something beyond yourself today, something beyond you, so that you can move into that for someone else. These 3,000 were waiting They were in wait. And Peter had to allow God to move. He had to allow God to do something supernatural in his life. Stand to your feet, if you will.